Joining us now, our good friend, Mr. Al Bat from somewhere near Heartland. Good morning, Mr. Al Bat. Hey, good morning, Karen. I hope everybody's doing well. I, uh, my bride showed me something, Karen, about your hosta takeover <laughs> at a, uh, a hosta show. So, yes. I, I'm sorry nobody else got to get a, an award. Oh, no, no, no. There was, there you, was other so. people who got awards. I did well, though, for my first year, Al. I'd never done it before, and my sister entered. So between the two of us, we did, we did well, and I, um, ended up bringing home 20-some hostas, and then a friend of mine's aunt died. She was 95, and she was a beautiful, beautiful gardens, and of course, once an old person dies and nobody wants to take over, what do you do? They just bulldoze the yard up. So I've been digging hostas, so I probably have 100 to plant now. Wow. <laughs> yes. Wow. Good luck. Thank you. In this heat, it's going to be something else, isn't it? It is. I um, I do want to thank everybody at Luther Place and at the Fountain Lake Chapel, those two wonderful places, for allowing me to speak to them. Uh, before I forget, I got a couple of messages from people saying, is it okay to uh, put out bird feeders and things now? You know, June 1st, the Raptor Center, which was the one group that was advocating not putting out bird feeders, they have said that this was on June 1st, so it's a while back. With the wild cases of bird flu continuing to decline, we are updating our bird feeder recommendations and believe the risk from avian influenza is low enough that feeders can be put out again. So, Good to know. Yeah, and you just sent me a couple things. One is from Matt Haas of Mankato, and Matt, I'm going to say Haas. I played uh, softball for many years and basketball with a guy with your same last name, and we he pronounced his Haas, so I'm going to go with that. And Matt asked if I have a remedy for small black flies biting me. Now, as soon as I say black flies, a lot of folks are going to think of, well, black flies, buffalo gnats, turkey gnats, whatever you call them. And I recall several years ago being out Caswell watching a uh, softball tournament and just uh, the black flies were eating people alive out there, especially like behind the ears. And a lot of folks were using lavender oil. Uh, I like vanilla extract oh. because, boy, it makes you smell like a bakery, and a people cookie. really like you. <laughs> and they just—they don't know you; they just like you. There's something <laughs> about you. But what Matt is talking about, he said these bites are more painful than mosquitoes. They itch badly. I think they look like a regular housefly, but I'm not in a house. I usually love working in my vineyard, but these flies sometimes make it miserable. Uh, Matt, great to hear from you. I've uh, Yesterday I was out cleaning out. We've lived where we live for a long time, but there's a old dump out in the middle of our woods. And it, in days past, people that lived in rural uh, farms, they had a dump out in the woods, and they just hauled everything out there. So there's everything out there from old TVs to, you know, wine bottles. There's everything. So every year I go out and I take another layer off. And things, these things are biting me like crazy. And what's biting me are stable flies. Oh. And they tear the skin oh. so they can lap up blood. Yes. And they're just nasty little guys. 
I think maybe a flamethrower mat would be something you could use on them. I, they just, uh, I, I feel your pain. Uh, we could spray our, in my case, it'd be my legs because I'm wearing shorts and they're, maybe I should put on long pants. That would probably help, but you know, it's warm and you don't want to do that. But you could put bug dope, your favorite bug dope. Now, is DEET work for those or is that mainly mosquitoes that that works for? I will say that DEET works for some people for these. And, you know, DEET's one of those funny things. A lot of people don't like to use it for other concerns. Mm -hmm. Some people say, you know, I'm out work and I sweat and then it's no good at all, so i got to keep reapplying it. And then other people use it and say, wow, this is the greatest thing ever. So, again, I see your your favorite bug dope, Matt, and I think I'm going to try some vanilla extract to see if that works. And if somebody else has tried that and it's worked, that would be wonderful. I wish I had a better answer for you, Matt. I guess pants, bug dope, and and maybe vanilla extract because... I just like vanilla extract. Do you know, you know even if the flies are biting me, I smell good. I found um, this thing you put on your hat. It's like a big net, so you look like a, a beekeeper. It's not for specifically beekeepers, but it's to keep bugs and stuff out of your face. And then I have these things called farmer sleeves, which if you have short um, T-shirt or something, you can pull these sleeves up, and they protect your arm uh, from scratches and all kinds of things. But they also keep yourself you're cool so you don't get hot like you would with long sleeves. So those are things I've tried. And then you look like a nerd going around with this uh, net around your, your head. It's kind of on your hat. You have to have a hat. And then it's, uh, like I said, looks kind of like a beekeeper. But I have a question. You mentioned those are stable flies. How are they different than deer flies? Because deer flies are also very nasty in my opinion. Yeah, deer flies are the ones that buzz around our head. And they they don't look like a housefly. And these are the ones maybe have been walking down the trail and the guy ahead of you has got a, um, a, a long, it looks like one of those fly ribbons that hangs down from the back of his hat. And those are to catch deer fly because they're the ones that just mm, round our head yes. and we swat at them and then they're not there. Their bites are really painful, yes. and they leave bumps or welts. But I will say this about them. They're really a pretty fly. Uh, they come in a little slightly different colors, but they're really beautiful flies. House flies, we see so many of them, we just think, well, they're <laughs> just kind of you know, plain, plain Jane. But Deer flies are really beautiful, and they're the ones that are bothersome, buzzing around our head. And if we get large numbers of them, they bite, and they bite with like little scissor-like mouth parts. So which is worse, the the stable fly or the deer fly? Because you said the one ripped your skin, and the other one's got the other type of bite so i mean i don't like either of them personally but Uh, no and right now for me here it's stable flies they're Mm -hmm. driving me nuts just as they are matt and there's so many of them and they breed in uh, vegetation uh, rotting vegetation compost piles Uh uh, mowing lawn clippings all these uh, if you have livestock out in the manure piles or the straw piles, they will breed in those. So they are uh, uh, 
they're just oof. You know, they make you want to say oof, or at least they do me. They are uh, nasty things. Well, when we were uh, on the dairy farm, you know, those flies would be in the, I assume those were the flies in the barn, so many of them, and we would actually have to close up all the windows in the barn, and then my mom every day would have this awful spray that you would spray to kill them, and for 10, 10 minutes you would leave everything closed up, and then they would die, but of course they'd all be back the next day. And, and you know, they believe, because my mom was in, um, in that spray locked up, you know, for so many years that that might have what, been what contributed to her, her COPD, that chronic obstructive oh. pulmonary disorder, which of course eventually killed her. But back then, you know, we, we didn't realize that you probably should have had some sort of a respirator or something when you, you're doing that, because she never smoked. But, so just saying, those things can be harmful. You got to be careful and use them the correct way. That's right. And um, deer flies, uh, how can I describe them? They, they're probably uh, medium-sized flies, about the size of a house fly, and they're yellowish-brown to black, and they have dark bands on their wings. A uh, stable fly is pretty close to the same size, and they're kind of gray. Uh, they'll, if you get one and you swat one, you can see dark stripes on its thorax behind the head. And it looks like a housefly, except it sucks blood. So they are, uh, you know, I'm I'm seeing them a little early. I usually think of them as a late summer and fall fly. And they say they will fly several miles to bite livestock and pets and people. I know dogs uh, don't like them because they bite them. So, Matt, I'm with you, and I wish you... I wish you good luck, and it's and if you find something that works, please, please let us all know because they, they um, they are irritating little buggers, and they like us. Uh, another one was Al. I heard from somebody else that Al. I built a purple Martin condo last summer and put it up last fall in Fairmont. I put a Martin decoy in one of the apartments. I've evicted a sparrow couple twice and played Martin songs a couple of hours each morning, but no Martins yet. Aww. Is it too late for this year to attract any sub-adults? Thanks. It, my dad uh, put up Purple Martin House every year for uh, a good share of my life, and he had a grand total of zero Martins oh, nest no. in it. And they'd show up and they'd say, you know, this just isn't for us. It's not in our price range. We don't like the neighborhood, uh, whatever was going on. I would not close the housing too soon. I remember being at a Purple Martin oh, I, a working group, I think. Purple Martin Working Group was the name of the organization. And they said, do not close the entrance holes or take the housing down until late August or mid-September in Minnesota because the fledglings, so this year's Purple Martins, may be exploring breeding sites for next year. So we're already looking for next year with Purple Martins. Well, uh, is there something he can do to... I mean, uh, it sounds like he's really gone o- overboard. I mean, even playing the the, the songs of them. Because is there anything else that what do they what do they want? Is there some type of a tree or plant or something that they really would go for? 
They like, uh, all water is really nice. Oh. They like a nice perching site like utility wires. They like kind mm-hmm. of an open area. They like plenty of uh, insects to eat. They typically feed dragonflies to their babies, so that's why water works out really well because there will be dragonflies there. People put out eggshells for them. Oh, goodness. You know, they try everything, and sometimes it's just a luck of the draw. A lady some years ago called me from Wasika, lives right on just a street, not near water. It's uh, near the bird's eye plant. And she said, I'm going to put up purple martin houses. I'm going to put up a couple of them. And I said, well, good luck. You know, mm-hmm. I hope you get them. And I thought, there's no way she's going to get them. She called me back in just a few days. She had them in there already. Well, do you and know why? It, it, it was the signage because it said bird's eye. So, therefore, <laughs> they knew that this was a good place, right? That might be it. And maybe there were a lot of insects around all the uh, corn silage and stuff. I, uh. I don't know why. I, you know, I wouldn't have bet a dollar that she would have gotten them ever, let alone that quick. And she's had them now for I don't know how many years. So it's pretty cool. I have another listener who just sent a note for you here that wants a, you to ask, or me to ask you. It says, can you ask Al? My husband witnessed a robin swoop at two young blue jays perched in a tree, apparently unable to fly yet. The adult jays tried to protect the young, but the young fell to the ground and eventually died. Is this normal robin behavior or just an extremely aggressive robin? Uh, Probably both. I guess, you know, robins are uh, blue jays will uh, raid a nest. And they're far from the only bird that will do that. You know, you can go all the way to house wrens, to red-headed woodpeckers, to grackles, to blue jays. So to a robin, a blue jay is a bad guy. Ah. And I guess it doesn't differentiate whether it's a baby blue jay or an adult blue jay. It wants them out of the area and wants them to stay away from its nest. So it probably had a nest there. And that's what was happening, and it's too bad. Once in a while, it ends up for a loss of a baby. My wife showed me a uh, baby raccoon that was dead here, and you wonder, she said, what could have happened to it? Well, a coyote, a fox, a great horned owl, a dog, uh, it could have, been poisoned, not intentionally, but somewhere, say there's a a leakage in the hot weather of um, antifreeze, if it drank some of that, uh, they also get distemper, so there's all different kinds of things that could have happened to that, and um, blue jays are such beautiful birds, but they're a little bit of a rascal, like most birds can be. They're divas, like in people, that'd be like a diva. Yeah, and and some robins are certainly more aggressive and take their uh, take their job as they should really seriously. It's uh, speaking of black flies. Somebody just sent me this. Walter Piper, a biology professor at Chapman University in Southern California, is seeing if the outbreaks of black flies which drive loon parents off their eggs in Wisconsin, might be doing the same in Minnesota. 
Piper's research has found that Wisconsin's adult loon population has fallen an estimated 22% in the last 25 years. In addition, loon chicks are smaller and the survival rate of young loons is lower. Either the mom or dad loon must be on the eggs at all times for the best hatching results. And it was a few years ago here in Minnesota where a good share of the common loons were driven off their nests by black flies. Uh, the National Eagle Center let me know that they are back. They had a six-month closure to allow for renovations, and they're excited to welcome back daily visitors. They'll have all oh, history and all kinds of displays. One of the histories and art contained is world-class, and as Preston Cook has his American Eagle collection there. Uh, Preston's a friend of mine, and I don't know how to describe his collection. It's everything that has an eagle on it. Oh. So it's, uh, you know, brand names to belt buckles to clothing, whatever it is there. Preston collected it. It's amazing. Uh, Sylvia Ziebenbergen of Hollandale said, where are my Orioles? Uh, Sylvia, they're out there uh, eating caterpillars because they're raising babies now or hatching the eggs. So they need caterpillars and that protein more than they need jelly. Uh, Mac Earhart of Albert Lee. Uh, Mac has a place there. It's called the Albert seed house that has a wonderful bird feeding department. He said, how can I attract goldfinches? I have clean feeders. I have fresh seeds. Mac, they like uh, some security. So Niger or black oil sunflower feeders placed uh, 10 to 20 feet from trees, bushes, or shrubs might help. They nest later than many birds so they can be nomadic. I know people who have tied a yellow ribbon to feeders to make it make them more visually attractive. Mm. And then planting sunflowers, black eyes, Susans, asters, coneflowers, and native thistles. That's like putting up a sale sign for goldfinches. They like dandelions, but if you're like me, you probably won't need to plant those. <laughs> uh, Dolores Han of Albert Lee said, how can I keep barn swallows from nesting over the door of my home? I like them. I just want them to nest elsewhere. Uh, Dolores, a slick, smooth surfaces will prevent barn swallows from adhering their mud nest to a wall. So plastic cling has worked for a lot of people. Whoa, wait, uh, well, how do you, put it, do you put the plastic cling on your house? Yep, right where they're going to put that. And you don't have to leave it there forever because after the mud slides off so many times, the barn swallows are going to throw up their wings and say, we're going somewhere else. We had them when we went in the barn, uh, always over the door when we went in the barn in the north end of the barn. And we just, the the thing was, we just let them be there and we would just quick run under as fast as you can so you didn't get pooped on. That was our that was our thing. You just leave them there, and then a lot of times if they had babies, they would swoop at your head, too, so you kind of really hurried in the barn then. I loved having them in the barn. Uh, they would eat a lot of flies and things mm-hmm. in there, so they were good company. And I, I don't know how many cows I milked under the uh, watchful eye of <laughs> young barn swallows, just keeping an eye on me the whole time. 
they uh, they're just really neat little things. Uh, I've got a shed here, and every time I raise the door, two barn swallows fly in and start singing, click it, click it, click it, click it, and then I uh, have to kind of make sure they're out before I can close that door again. They're just uh, determined to build a nest there. Uh, the other thing that you can do, Dolores, you can block the area where the birds want to nest with plastic netting or any other object that will fill that opening. And if you leave openings under that plastic netting, they might go under it to the desired area. So you have to kind of secure it. Lorna Byers of Holland Minnesota said, thank you, Al, for explaining why the Orioles have quit coming to my feeder. My husband so enjoyed watching the hummingbirds feast on wild columbine that he planted for them this year. Well, thanks, Lorna. You're very welcome, and uh, I love columbine. It's one of my favorites. Paul Sukanek saw a Tennessee warbler. These are kind of birds that are seen that you wouldn't normally expect to see here. And this is Sacco Farmwoods, that Tennessee warbler that's in Steele County. Chad Hines saw a chestnut-sided warbler in Mankato. And Wade Fetter saw an American widgeon in Faribault County. Oh. A listener said, Al, you talked about young rabbits. How do I know if a young squirrel needs rescuing? Yeah, juvenile squirrels look like miniature adults. So if the squirrel is uninjured, it has a fluffed-out tail, a bushy tail, and a body longer than six inches long, not including the tail, it's okay. Uh, squirrels are independent at 10 to 12 weeks of age, but if it approaches humans or pets, so if you're outside and the squirrel's following your chihuahua around, you might uh, want to consult uh, like the uh, Wildlife Rehabilitation Center in Roseville. Oh, here's a, a delicate question. What is a shite poke? How do you spell uh, that? S-H-I-T-E-P-O-K-E. Oh, Okay. And uh, I'll, I'll uh, explain it delicately, I guess. Herons <laughs> and egrets are called shite pokes, or some people more politely call them shy pokes, oh. S-H-Y. And shite poke, I bet as a lot of people have figured out already, refers to how this these birds defecate when they're frightened, when oh, they fly. Oh, okay. Yeah, so chalk line <laughs> is another nickname for these birds oh, yeah. because that's what they leave behind. Oh, my. Yeah, and my dad called them shite pokes. That was just a common thing. I know um, friend Julie Zikafus said her dad went to a country school in Iowa at eight grades, and they were all supposed to make a list of all the birds they had seen. And one of the boys in her dad's class raised his hand and asked <laughs> the teacher how to spell shite poke. So it's been around for a long time. Okay, good to know. Do rough grouse actually drum? Oh, it's really cool to hear this and to see it. But do they actually drum? I think you're thinking of Ringo Starr. Uh, the drumming sound that a rough grouse makes is when it beats its wings against his chest. 
and they create an air vacuum, and the male performs this while standing on a drumming log, stone, or dirt mound to establish territories. So it's, it's, it's pretty cool. How many broods do black-capped chickadees raise each year? One. I wish they raised more. Yeah, they're um, cute. Well, here's one, Karen. What tree smells like cat urine? Oh. I think there's a number of plants that do that. Do you know? And I guess I'm not really for sure, but don't know. I think the one, the one I think of, some people call it skunk spruce or oh. cat spruce. Hmm. So if you crush the needles of white spruce, it gives off a strong odor that reminds folk of a skunk or cat piece. So I don't know anybody would crush those needles, no. but uh, but I think several other plants carry that odor also. Uh, boxwood does. A lot of hedges are made of boxwood. Oh. That has that smell also. Well, I've got some boxwood. I guess I'm going to go crush some and find out and then probably never do it <laughs> there again. There you go. <laughs> That'll be fun while you're planting hostas and <laughs> oh, sweating boy. and need a break and just go over Sniff. and smell some boxwood. Yuck. Okay, <laughs> thank you for that tip. Oh. Do rabbits dig burrows? What we have here are eastern cottontail rabbits, and they live oh, in a five-acre area their entire lives. They do not dig burrows. They will crawl into vacant burrows of other animals during cold or wet weather and to escape pursuit by a predator. And they huddle under woody vegetation. If you have brush piles, they love those. About 30% of rabbits survive a winter in Minnesota. Oh. Cottontails, uh, if you see a cottontail today, take a good look at it. They have protruding eyes that give them nearly a 260 degree vision and they have a blind spot about 10 degrees wide directly in front of them. Oh. Folks, thanks man for uh, sitting on the front porch with us. You, you know, I I am susceptible to brain freeze or ice cream headaches, <laughs> also known as cold stimulus headaches, uh, all my life. And the odd thing about my ice cream headaches is I typically get them while eating ice cream. Who would have thought? Go figure. I got them as a boy, and I made my ice cream headache face, and <laughs> thankfully it was one of those faces that didn't freeze that way. I didn't have an ice cream headache the other day as I sat out enjoying a butter pecan cone on a extremely sunny day. I was napkinless, but I got the sweet treat down without dripping more than a few drops of ice cream. The melted ice cream had barely touched the ground, those drops, before ants appeared on the scene as if by magic. I figured they were ice cream ants. And I wondered, do ice cream ants get ice cream headaches? That's a job for a graduate student. Remember, Heartland is well worth driving past. Thanks for listening. Uh, do something wild today, folks. Get out there and look at a bird. Thank you, Karen. And, man, I'm so proud of you with that hosta takeover. <laughs> that was an amazing feat, I think. And you should stride the earth like a colossus for a couple weeks at least. All right. Thank you, Al. It's always great to have you on. We'll uh, chat with you next week. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks, Karen. Bye-bye. Always great to chat with our good friend Al Bat. He is just a great guy. And his wife, Gail, she's a good gal, too.